COVID-19, better known as coronavirus, has spread throughout the world. There are a few ways to help lower the spread of this respiratory disease. Wash your hands. Avoid touching your face, including mouth, nose, and eyes. Cover your coughs and sneezes. Monitor your symptoms and consult with your doctor. Stay at home and away from other sick people except for medical care. Clean and disinfect high-touch surfaces. For more information, please visit cdc.gov forward slash COVID-19. Thank you. How are you doing? Surviving. Hello, world. This is Chris Abalo's Podcast Experiment, and I am Chris Abalo. Welcome to the show. The end of week two of the return of Cape and the end of week two of the mostly national self-quarantine. First off, if you've been listening to the show and enjoying it, there are a bunch of places where you can subscribe to the show, and I hope you have. And if you have, just do me a favor and give the show a five-star rating wherever you get it, because it helps the show get recommended, helps it get seen. And helps us grow. That's all I'm asking for. Just to share the show and to have people enjoy it. That's the goal right now. So if you can do that, I'd be very grateful. I'm also very grateful for the people who have been listening to the show and enjoying it. I appreciate all the positive messages that I've gotten from many people saying they're happy that the show is back and that they have something other than the news to turn to during this time. I mean, aside from every other form of entertainment that everyone's dependent on right now. It's nice to have something else out there, and uh, yes, that's part of the reason for doing it and doing this format for right now. Today I'll be talking to my friend Sean Johnson, guitarist, YouTuber, musician, recording artist, multi-hyphenate. He's another multi-hyphenate, uh, but primarily boil that down to musician. And because he's a YouTuber and a broadcaster, he thankfully has his own recording setup. So even though we technically did the show as a phoner, he was recording with his home studio on his end, and I was recording on my end. So we both recorded ourselves on mic, so it sounds like we're in the room together, even though we're not. A little peek behind the curtain. But no phone signal to worry about, and that's something that, as the show goes on, like I've said in previous episodes, continuing to upgrade and find the best ways to do things like that while this is the format for right now. So thankfully, this episode is the highest possible quality at least as far as sound goes. No, it's it's going to be very entertaining and very informative. We had a lot of good stuff to talk about. Also, I should have mentioned on Monday's show, because that's when it started, the CDC PSA you hear at the beginning of the show is legit. That is something I was contacted about and asked if I would put PSAs before the show. As of now, it's going to be for the immediate future. So at the beginning of every show, there's going to be a PSA. It's not a bit. You may have figured that it wasn't because there's no joke. It's just sharing information about what to do and who to contact, all that other stuff. So those will be going on at the beginning of the show for the next little while. And I'm happy to be sharing those because the CDC is an organization you definitely want to be listening to right now. And to kind of branch off of that, I did want to say this week has been kind of disturbing in that there's so many people who, despite how infectious this disease is, and the number of infected 
people, but let's just say Americans, just because I, I want to, I'm making a point about this, I swear. The amount of infected Americans keeps increasing, but there are a lot of people in different parts of the country, commentators, politicians, talking heads, whatever, who are saying, all right, that's been enough. We've self-quarantined enough. Everybody should get back to work. And there aren't that many people dying from this that we need to be concerned about it. Well, let me give a little bit of perspective from what's going on in my home state, New Jersey, which is the second most infected state right now behind New York. Of course, New York is well ahead of every other state in the country, but New Jersey is still growing at an alarming rate. When I started doing the show again, Monday, March 16th, in New Jersey, there were 176 confirmed cases and three deaths. Today, March 27th, there are 8,825 confirmed cases and 108 deaths. So the spread of this, just within 11 days, has grown at, at a scary rate. And it should be much more jarring to people than I think it is, at least in other parts of the country, because there are states that aren't as affected by this. But the bigger issue is, and I'm not saying anything that most people don't already know. This, this isn't a unique thought. I don't have some hot take on what's going on. But yeah, maybe people are dying from it in a much smaller percentage than those infected. Now, death is still a pretty terrible consequence to getting an infection. I think we can all agree on that. But the people who do get infected with COVID-19, they still need medical attention. They still need to go to hospitals and they still need resources. They can't just sit at home and nurse it like a hangover or the common cold. They need medical attention. And if we're overwhelming our hospitals and emergency rooms and anywhere else people can go to get medical care, well, that means not everybody's going to get the treatment they need. And the percentage of fatalities could be way higher. Again, I'm not saying anything that shouldn't seem obvious. But there is a pretty stubborn notion that because there aren't as many people dying that we should just get back to work. Everybody should just get back out to do it. You know, everything shouldn't be closed. The economy shouldn't have to tank and all this other stuff. But the reality is this is a problem. The people who are getting it are in miserable shape. There are enough videos floating around social media of people who were in the hospital, people who were deniers, who thought it was a hoax or who didn't believe they would get infected or who treated it too casually. Or these dickheads on the TikTok app who are doing the coronavirus challenge by licking subway poles and toilet seats and all this other nonsense, who are now infected, who are now, sorry to say, eating their own words, because this is no joke. And to bring it back to me a little bit, I'd said when I started doing the show last week that my intention was to do it at the beginning of the year. Well, I'd mentioned that I was sick at the end of last year and into this year, and I couldn't shake a cough, and that cough had turned to wheezing, and some are saying, and I'm not trying to be vague, and I'm, I'm certainly not to sound like other people who vaguely say, some people are saying, or I'm hearing, you probably know who I'm talking about, but there are certain people who are saying, oh, that cough everybody had, that infection that people had that they just couldn't shake, well, that was COVID-19. That was the coronavirus. It's been here for longer than we thought. I don't know about that. I can't speak to that. But from my personal experience, just to give you a fragment of my experience, here was my progression with everything. Monday, December 16th, I went to the doctor because I was starting to have a cough and I definitely had some inflammation. I was feeling like something was coming on and it was close to Christmas and with family gatherings and everything, I wanted to be over it by the time Christmas came along. The doctor gave me a pack, and I was taking NyQuil to sleep at night and hopefully that was that. Well, the cough still lingered beyond Christmas. It never completely went away. 
And on January 3rd, it was horrible. It, that day in particular was when it escalated to it was worse than it had been even before I'd gone to the doctor. So Monday, January 6th, I went back to the doctor. She prescribed me more medications and hoped that would do the trick and I would be on the mend. Things started to get better. The cough started to slow. It didn't completely go away, but there was less of it. Friday, January 31st, I woke up wheezing. And I mean wheezing severely, like was having trouble breathing, and it woke me up. Thankfully, I was able to get to the doctor ASAP. I was put on a nebulizer in the office, which is, just, for those who don't know, it's basically when someone takes a you know a personal inhaler where they just have a few puffs, this is breathing in and out, breathing that same like, a solution like that that's vaporized, and you're breathing in and out for 15 minutes. I was prescribed a nebulizer, and I was breathing those vapors three times a day, 15 minutes a pop. That was for three weeks before the wheezing subsided. And that was on top of me taking cough medications, anything over the counter that I thought would help would calm the cough down. And that would help me sleep. The day after that, February 1st, I went for a chest x-ray, which I didn't get the results of until February 7th. And it said it was clear there wasn't an infection there. So the recommendation was that I follow up with a pulmonary specialist to see what's going on with my lungs. There were two doctors that were recommended to me. One of them wasn't taking any new patients. And the other one, the next available appointment was, guess what? Today, March 27th. On February 7th, I found out I wasn't going to be able to see a pulmonary specialist until March 27th. Thankfully, with the nebulizer and everything else I was taking, I even got this bronchial wellness syrup is what it was called because I, I, I thought I'll try anything to calm this cough down and to stop this wheezing because it was horrible. And near the end of February, around the last weekend of February, I started to feel better and I started to get back to work. And then obviously we know what's happened as of about the beginning and middle of March. So here we are. Now, you can say, well, not enough people are dying from the coronavirus and you know people are getting infected, but they're getting better. And I'm not going to say what I had was the coronavirus. I can't say that with any certainty. But I will say for those two months, I was miserable. I was unable to sleep for more than three hours a lot of the time because I would wake up coughing or I'd be wheezing so loud in my sleep that it would wake me up. Maybe I just had a regular cold in December and maybe I picked up a virus and that's why I was wheezing on January 31st. I don't know, but it was miserable. So as much as you could say, well, people survive and, and people get through it and the mortality rate's not that high. Well, guess what? I was still miserable. And while I wasn't admitted to the hospital, I would not wish that on anybody. But from what I've seen, Anybody who's been positively diagnosed with the coronavirus, it's horrible. So if what I had is a small percentage of that, then I don't wish it on anybody. I don't want anybody to get infected the way I did. Needless to say, if you're coughing and wheezing, not the best time to try to do a podcast. If anything, it would have been edited together sloppily, but there was nothing. I mean, of course, I wasn't going to have any friends over to record the show with me, which was the original intention was Jack and Ryan were going to come over here and do the show, a couple shows with me, kind of kick things off. But I had what I had. I'm not sure what it was, because I never got a definitive answer, really. But it had to be treated, and it was awful. I wasn't sleeping well. I was sick. I was coughing. I was wheezing. It was misery. I've never been sick like that in my entire life. And the idea of spending time at home and away from each other and not gathering people in large groups anywhere, be it a concert, or a festival, or store, or a movie theater, if it stops people from getting something worse than what I had, 
I am all for it. By the way, because that pulmonary examination wasn't considered essential, as of now, it's been delayed till next month. So I didn't actually go see the specials today, but thankfully I am feeling better. I'm not coughing, I'm not wheezing. Those symptoms have been over with for about a month now, so the appointment didn't actually happen today, if you were curious. But anyway, that's enough out of me. I'm going to talk to Sean Johnson, and yeah, enjoy it. Hey, Sean, how's it going? Hey, Chris. Long time no talk, buddy. I know, too long, in fact. And that, yeah. what, what better time to catch up with, with people who you've fallen out of touch with than when you're at home and you have nothing better to do. I mean, why not? Yeah, absolutely. Why not? You know, we're all supposed to be uh, sheltering in place, as the uh, as the overlords are calling it. <laughs> I call it just a normal day because I work from home and uh, I don't deal much with the outside world outside of getting my normal grocery run, which uh, all you hoarders out there, that food's going to go bad and you're really going to regret the fact that you got like 50 packs of toilet paper <laughs> sitting in your closet anyway. Well, they can't. They're going to die of starvation surrounded by toilet paper. Like that was that was a good use of time and money. <laughs> yep, I suppose it was. So you're used to this. You're kind of since you're you're working from home most of the time. Your your routine has really been disrupted. Actually, I should say you're you're the first guest that I've had who's uh, on the other side of the country. So you're in California. You're down in it's Orange County, right? Yep, Laguna Beach area. Yeah. So you're you're the first one who could kind of report what's going on elsewhere everybody else who i've talked to so far has been in new jersey so uh this will be maybe the same perspective maybe a little bit different but uh, anyway your routine is has largely stuck because you're from home yeah aside from the hoarding which i think is is a national concern at this <laughs> point are you are you seeing that people aside from the bad reports we see about idiots going to malibu and playing ball in the park and everything like that up in you know la county where they had to shut everything down mm -hmm. are you seeing that people are are taking measures or staying at home? Are you noticing not as many cars on the road from your window anyway? Well, you know, I definitely started noticing things, I would say, two weeks ago. You know, really before any of the quarantine efforts really got started. Um, it was my mother's birthday uh, two weeks ago, and we drove up to uh, the valley to, you know, celebrate with my family. Over the course of the last 10 years that I've been living here in Orange County, the traffic has gotten a bit longer. It's taken a, a bit more time to get to my parents' home in the valley. And we got from in front of our house, we got gas, and we got to my parents' front door in an hour and 10 minutes. Wow. On a Saturday. On a Saturday afternoon. Normally, that's a two-and-a-half-hour trek. Not so on, on March 14th, 2020. It was an hour and 10 minutes. That's unheard of. Yeah, I definitely felt like it was in that. It was that day that I felt like people were starting to take some measures, um, just like limiting their exposure to the outside world, not making these long treks, these long car trips, uh, going unnecessarily on the freeway to do God knows what with their weekend um, and, and staying at home, maybe or staying closer to home rather than being farther away. So I definitely noticed that. But as we've said, I work from home almost every day of the week. And the last time I left the house for work, it, it was, you know, well, it was at least three weeks before quarantine efforts started. 
and it seemed pretty normal. But uh, other than that, you know, I wake up every morning. It's business as usual for the most part. Yeah. So you're working at home and doing a lot of work on your YouTube channel, which can be found at Sean Pierce Johnson. If you go to the Cape 104 post on chrisabal.com, I'll have links to all of Sean's online resources so you can find all of his stuff up there. Uh, Sean Pierce Johnson is a YouTube channel. So since you've been, since this quarantine, I say, has been in effect now that we're in the second week of this, have you noticed a change? Because I'm sure a lot of people are, are spending, well, there's no doubt people are spending more time in front of all their screens entertaining themselves. Have you noticed a change in your in your traffic on your channel in the last two weeks? Honestly, I've noticed a change for the worse, uh, which is really surprising to me. Uh, because as of right now, you know, not one to toot my own horn, but I'll go ahead and do it. I feel like I've been doing a lot of stuff recently that I am really proud of. A lot of content and videos related to the guitar, related to music, uh, demos of equipment and things like that, that I thoroughly enjoyed making. Right before the quarantines, I started uploading a series of videos that I want to become a regular thing, which is just SPJ on the road, where I go and visit builders within the musical instrument business, guitar builders. I want to visit some amp builders, some pedal builders, probably. And I just, I really enjoy that. I love getting to see the guys that I know as colleagues within the musical instrument industry in their natural environments doing what they do. And there are some really talented guys out there, talented girls as well, you know, that just make some really great gear, really great stuff. And some of their stories are just fantastic. They're just amazing. So unfortunately, I, I don't feel like people have quite caught on to that, uh, despite my best efforts to circumnavigate the YouTube algorithm. I still find myself wondering, why is it that people aren't seeing this. Why is it that there's not as many uh, view counts on it? Lucky for, lucky for me, I, I do have a, a dedicated group of, of followers who watch almost everything I do, which I appreciate immensely. Um, I wouldn't do it without them. And they're responding really well to it. But I, I guess I'm in a season right now where I feel like the work that I'm doing is some of the strongest that I've done in, in a very long time. And uh, I guess the the general public just doesn't see it for some reason. I don't know. YouTube is a very weird animal. It's constantly evolving. I like to say that YouTube is a bit like uh, Eevee in the world of Pokemon, where its evolutionary capabilities are considered unstable. And so you put you put one stone on it and it becomes Vaporeon. You put a one stone on it, it becomes Jolteon. And there's about five other different evolutionary chains that it can go through, all dependent upon this one little thing. Yes, people, I'm referencing Pokemon on this podcast. Deal with it. <laughs> uh, but I, there's just like there are some days I bash. I want to bash my head against the wall. Because of how you have to play this game with YouTube in order to get your content noticed. And I honestly, as I've said, I feel like I'm doing some of my best stuff to date. And I've been heavily doing it for the last seven years. And I think right now I'm at a point where 
some of the best stuff is going to be coming in 2020. And so I'd just like more people to see it. I, I started the quarantine by uploading a ton of videos last week. I think I uploaded four in one week. And then I did a, a live stream on my channel. I usually do those every Thursday night at 5 p.m. Pacific. But I, I think instead what I'm going to focus on now, rather than you know the quantity coming first, I think I'm going to scale it back and just really push hard with what it is that I, I put out there. Whether it is visiting a builder, uh, whether it's a demo, doing a live show, or just hanging around with a friend who um, might bring over a, a cool piece of gear. I think now is a time for me to stick to what I've always done. It's quality over quantity. And so it's been an interesting, uh, it's been an interesting couple of weeks to see how people's uh, habits for consuming entertainment and content uh, have been really interesting, as a matter of fact. It's funny you should say that. I've heard a lot of that from YouTubers who I follow, other YouTubers who say that things aren't being seen as much, they're not showing up in, in search results for various things. So yeah, I guess it's kind of the constant evolution. I mean, look, I've even experienced it with my show. Um, I was telling Sherry, my girlfriend, like she was wanted to catch up on the show. And I said, well, you have, I mean, she has an iPhone, so she could just open the podcast app. And I said, oh, you've, you have the iHeart app. Well, let me see how the show displays on there. And I typed, because my thought even before launching it is, well, I'll just make sure it's in as many places as possible. Right. Because, I mean, YouTube is the go-to if you're doing any kind of video content online, whereas podcasts, basically you should just put them everywhere so they're as available as possible. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of, that's, that's essentially been my strategy before even relaunching the show last week, saying, okay, let me make sure it's in place and all this stuff is working. But anyway, literally searching my name, there's not another Chris Abalo who is a podcast on the iHeartRadio app. And even searching by my name, it still didn't come up. So wow. sometimes it's it's weird, and I don't know how a lot of this... I mean, I, it's, it doesn't exactly compare to what you're talking about with YouTube, but it is weird that because there is so much stuff out there, you don't know where it's going to get seen or how, or if your stuff's even findable, if that's a word, which it probably isn't. Yeah. Well, you know, I think one of the things that it has... It's probably the reason for it. This is at least just a theory I have is that now because things are so weird and we don't know how soon this is all going to blow over. We don't know when we can really resume the lives that we were leading beforehand. In some people's cases, I hope you're not leading the same life that you were beforehand. Hopefully this will teach you to be a little bit healthier in that respect. Right. But I think we're starting to lean on when it comes to our consuming of entertainment and content, we default to things that have proven themselves in the past to give us that good feeling that we know immediately as soon as we put it on, whether it be music, movies, television shows, a book, a magazine, whatever, we don't necessarily want to take chances at this time. We want something that we can depend on. And maybe that has something to do with it. Now, however something is discoverable, viewable, watchable, whatever. But 
I don't know if Netflix still has the streaming rights to Friends still or if that's transferred to another streaming service. I imagine that whoever has the streaming rights to Friends is probably seeing an uptick in viewership of that. Just as I would imagine Netflix is probably doing well with people binging maybe something like Breaking Bad or another original series that of theirs that has, you know, been universally acclaimed. So maybe people are just turning to things that they feel like they don't need to take a chance on. They can depend on a show like Friends to be entertaining and to give them an escape. They can depend on a film like, let's just use Star Wars as an example, and especially with you know the return of Clone Wars on Disney+. Star Wars we can go back to because we love it and it's dependable. Maybe not as dependable to some people, but I do not deal with those kind of people. (laughs) (laughs) But nevertheless, I think what it is is that we are we're sticking to things that we know we can depend on. Maybe we're not taking as many chances and that that's perfectly fine. But I think because we have this time now, it would be a great time if people would take more chances on New bands, new YouTubers, new podcasts, new movies, original series, television shows. If you have the access to it, what's stopping you? You can't go to work. You're only supposed to go out for essential things. Yeah, you got to deal with your kids during the day if you have kids. I don't have kids, so I don't have to deal with them. But make this a time of discovery, self-discovery and of entertainment discovery. I think that there are ways that we can come out the other end of this and it, it we're going to be the better for it. It's just up to us to decide to do it. Dude, I totally agree. In fact, it's funny you say that because Sherry and I were talking about, okay, what are we going to watch? Now that we know we're, it's pretty safe to say we're already planning for the month of April. Like we're figuring out our bills and we're figuring out how we're going to handle everything for the next month. Because we, we don't expect anything's going to change. We'll be in this exact situation a month from now. That we will still be, that the norm will be to stay at home. What used to be being lazy, being a lazy, unproductive adult, is now considered being a responsible adult. That's where we're at in 2020. No flying cars. It's stay at home and watch TV. But anyway. In the words of Fred Armisen, the dream of the 90s is alive in Portland. <laughs> and now instead of Portland, it's all over the world. It's alive baby. worldwide. Nice. <laughs> so we were actually saying, okay, what is it we're going to watch? And the funny thing is we, we were coming up with lists of things we want to watch. And I'm rattling off stuff like, well, I know there's definitely you, you definitely haven't seen Monty Python's Life of Brian or Meaning of Life. Top to bottom, we got to sit and watch those. You know, we, we haven't seen this. Uh, there's a few things on the aforementioned Disney Plus. We said we should sit and watch those. We talked about rewatching the the Marvel movies from the beginning. And it's so funny that even at night before I go to bed, I don't want to turn on something we haven't yet seen. I'm putting on Futurama, which I've seen <laughs> top to bottom 10 times the entire series. And I still am like, I want to watch some Futurama before bed. So... I completely agree with what you're saying when it comes to we're turning to comfort, and I'm, I'm noticing that about myself. I'm not watching as many new things as I should, and there are a dozen shows right. we, so we want to watch. So, yeah, I, I think you're right. I do think there's something about turning to the familiar and the comfortable while everything right now is so out of whack. Yeah. I, I definitely think that's part of it. 
And I'll even give you right now an example of discovery. Um, about a month ago, me and my wife, we sat down and we watched all the Rocky movies because they're all on Netflix with the exception of Rocky Balboa. So we watched all five of the Rocky movies and we're just like, wow, oh my God, this is, these movies are so freaking awesome. They're so good. Like, why did we not watch these sooner? So lucky for us, we are patrons of our public library, as I hope a lot of you listening out there still will do uh, for your public libraries. They are a fantastic resource. We rented from the library Rocky Balboa. And here I'm going into it expecting it to be like, eh, this probably is going to be a watered down, you know, Rocky movie. It's not going to be that good. No, it was freaking great. Now, months later, we're like, hey, you know, there were those Creed movies that came out. Do you think we should watch those? Do you think those are going to be any good? Oh, hey, we have them at the library. Let's go ahead and just let's just get all the Creed movies. You know, there's only two. What's going to hurt? Dude, <laughs> I can't believe they were as good as they were. Creed 1 was pretty good. Like, when I first saw the previews, it's like, ah, it's a little, it's a spinoff. It's a little bit of a cash grab. I didn't know Sylvester Stallone was going to be in it, reprising his role as Rocky. So I was like, ah, whatever. Watching it, I'm like, hey, that was, wow, that was pretty, that was pretty damn good. And Creed 2 blows it out of the water. Like, dude. Oh, yeah. We just watched that last week. It's so funny you mentioned it because last week we were very much in the mode of what what haven't we seen? What is it we've wanted to watch? Because we were still it was still kind of new. Being home all day was novel. And, you know, she just got laid off last week. So we were Mm -hmm. still in the mood for that. And that's how drastically our mood changed between last week and this week. But you're absolutely right. We watched Creed, too, because it's on uh, Amazon Prime right now. Okay, And, yeah, we were totally just like, wow, this is. This was great. I mean, I haven't seen the first Creed in a while, but I thought, yeah, this one really hit a lot more emotion and and just had a great arc to it that we thought, wow, this is awesome. Why have we waited two years to watch this? Dude, I will tell you why Creed 2 kicks Creed 1's ass. Let's hear it. Because Sylvester Stallone co-wrote the script for Creed 2. Ah. If you look at all the Rocky movies... Sylvester Stallone is credited with a co-write on, I'm pretty sure, all of them. The reason Creed 2 is so good is because he got back in the writer's chair for it. And he knows those characters and like knows those emotional beats of that story arc so well that he was able to bring like some of the mojo from the Rocky movies and put them into the Creed into Creed 2. Like I thought. Maybe Creed 2 is going to be it. Like, there's going to be no more Creed movies. After watching Creed 2, I'm like, dude, where do we go with Creed 3? Because I want to see that. Oh, hell yes. If Sylvester Stallone comes back for a co-write, I want to see Creed 3. Yeah, I'm totally with you on that. Because we were saying the same thing. Like, wow, they've really built up this this universe and in other words let's stick with creed 2 for just a moment another thing that we were really really impressed by and we think that's why it it hit more of an emotional uh chord with us and why we enjoyed it so much was you understood what's going on with the dragos what their motivation was kind of where they're coming from where Mm -hmm. they weren't they were opponents but they weren't bad guys no not this time 
Yeah, exactly. You didn't hate them. You, you kind of understood where they were. You understood where Ivan Drago felt rejected and felt like he had to, to a degree, redeem himself through his son's success. Right. I mean, all of that felt just so balanced where, wow, you actually felt for everything that was going on in the movie instead of just having a disposable, here's the you know character that Adonis Creed needs to beat to stay champion, and that's it. Yeah. It would have been really easy to phone that in, and I'm sure a lot of people looked at it and said, Oh, okay. They actually, they're just trying to keep interest by bringing up another old Rocky character and having them play a role in this new movie. But right, exactly. it wasn't just for that. And funnily enough, because I wanted to compare, Creed 2 did outgross Creed 1. Oh, okay. At the box office in the U.S. and worldwide. So I sure as hell hope they're going to make a third one because if the trajectory is upward, hey man, I'm just, it, it seems like a smart move. And I'm pretty sure once the, the movie business gets back to firing on all cylinders they're, they're going to need some some money makers in the in the pipeline yeah so we're, we're right now calling for creed 3 if it's not already uh being floated out there which i'm pretty sure it is but dude i'm with you we just watched that last week and now i do want to go back and watch all the rocky movies so yeah man do do it you're not going to regret it totally it's been a while so i thought this is again there's there are certain things i want to revisit i've recently had a streak where i revisited some movies from the 90s that i used to really like sticking with stallone like judge dread I said, oh, wow, this wow. movie was great when I was 15. It sucks. <laughs> so, so <I'm, laughs> but I was 15, and it was Stallone shooting a gun. It's all I wanted from a movie. Oh, yeah. yeah. Whereas now I'm watching it just saying, this is, la- why, this is a PG movie. There's just nothing going on. Everything that happens is wildly convenient. I'm just, I was not into it. That movie is PG? No, it's not. It's an R movie, but it's a, it should oh. be a feature. I mean, that we have to remember the 90s where when every R movie had toys being marketed to kids. I mean, there were Demolition Man toys. There were Judge Dredd toys, I believe. Yes, there uh, were. Terminator 2 had loads of toys. And these are hard R movies, but it's we got to get the kids interested. Hard R movies. I was 10 when Terminator 2 came out. I couldn't wait to see it. Wow. But uh, anyway, no. It, it, when you watch it now, you're thinking, why is this movie even R? Like People just get shot with bursts of light. It's not a gory movie. It's not a bloody movie. And why does Stallone not wear his helmet for the entire movie? I mean, I don't follow the comics. I'm not a, a, a comic book reader, really. But I know enough to know Judge Dredd never takes his helmet off. Yes. But it, it was kind of funny. There are movies like that. And I'm going to get into that in a, in a future episode. There's a little teaser about stuff I've revisited. So th- there are franchises I definitely want to go back to, like Rocky, and say, wow, you know, it's been a while. I would like to see kind of the arc and... Seeing Creed 2 really motivated me to say, well, I do want to go back and kind of see the story from the beginning. Heck yeah, man. And come all the way up to where it is now. So I'm willing to expand outside my comfort zone. Even though I've seen the movies, I can't remember a whole lot, except there wasn't really a boxing match in Rocky V. That's really all I remember. So, yeah. anyway. Yeah. So that's our endorsement for the Rocky franchise and uni- and extended universe. <laughs> exactly for the yeah the Rocky universe the uh, the the Philadelphia boxing extended universe. There you go. Which should be a thing now if it isn't. But uh, anyway, so you've been a critic. Uh, just take a little bit of a turn because this is something Ooh. I definitely want to tackle with you. Okay. Because it, it's something I've been thinking about. Uh, you've been a very outspoken critic of the AB five law. Yes. Which, just just for a touch of background into how I was considering this, because I left California at the end of 2018, and a year later, this law came in. It was about October, November, right? It was pretty much rushed through. Yeah, so um, just a brief little synopsis of how it came to be for everybody that doesn't know about it. Um, 
there was a court case uh, brought to the California Supreme Court. It was a court case of the employees of a company called Dynamex suing the company because they were hired on as employees and eventually demoted to the status of independent contractor. That's basically a pseudonym for being a freelancer and even in some cases being self-employed. So they they sued the company. It went to the California Supreme Court. The Supreme Court of California found in favor of those former employees who were demoted to that status because they lost a lot of the benefits of being an employee. And it was that change from being an employee to an independent contractor. But the same things were expected of them as independent contractors as if they were still employees. In reaction to that, the California State Assembly, or whatever the hell they choose to call themselves, drafted up a legislation and a law, Assembly Bill 5, AB 5. And the widespread promotion of what this bill is supposed to do is it's supposed to end the misclassification of workers in the state of California. Basically, the main targets at this point are companies like Uber, Lyft, DoorDash, gig economy companies, app-based businesses that essentially classify anybody that drives for them, delivers for them, whatever, as an independent contractor. However, the unintended consequences of this bill and the language within it has caused a huge amount of confusion within the state of California because it's not only just affecting those companies, it's affecting how companies, no matter the sphere of influence, no matter their business, how they treat their workers. So, for example, what I do as a YouTuber is I create content, uh, marketing content, for instrument companies, musical instrument companies, and accessory companies, usually doing demo and review work. Outside of that, I have my band, Cockeyed Optimist. We perform, record, release music. The issue with this is that if you are one of these workers in California like I am, no matter who you work with, whether they're based in California or not, they have to treat you and work with you under California law. So if I do, I'll use the company that I got a, a product for actually just today. I got an effects pedal from a company called Spiral Electric Effects. Beautiful company based in Utah. This is the second job I've done for them this year. It's not going to require more than eight hours of my time to complete. But according to the state of California, if I don't meet a certain criteria of being given the freedom to choose when and where I work on it, uh, the work is my own. And there's some other factors as well. But this company, Spiral Electric Effects, would have to treat me as an employee and offer me every benefit of employment uh, therein. Health benefits, insurance, coverage, things like that. Uh, paid sick leave, what have you. Now, you can listen to me say that and say, why wouldn't you want that? And I certainly understand the idea of the misclassification of the worker. Because it is true, there are companies out there that take absolute advantage 
of their workers, whether they be independent contractors or employees of the company on payroll. But for me, it came down to this very simple metric. As an employee of companies on official company payroll, corporate, franchisee, whatever. I worked in food service for many years. I worked as a barista. I worked for theme parks, what have you. Once I became my own boss, once I set up my own business and I started working for myself, I have been the one in control. I have been able to decide whether or not my work meant something, what it was worth, and what I was going to get for it. As an employee, I was taken advantage of one too many times for me to say that this law is exactly what we need. So in my opinion, and why I've been so outspoken about this, is because not only has this California law become a thing, it basically was authored and signed into law within a year and took effect within 18 months. The law was only signed in September, and it took effect on January 1st, 2020. So from September 2019 to January 2020, that was the amount of time that we had as workers or as companies to prepare for the coming fallout. That court case, Dynamex, that established the precedent for that language of that law took 13 years to litigate through all the court circuits, 13 years. And I have tweeted at the woman who is the assembly woman in California, who is basically the author of this bill saying that there is no way that this is a good thing. This was absolutely rushed. How could you think this would be a good thing? And she says to me, it wasn't rushed. It wasn't a knee-jerk reaction. 13 years to a year and a half? Yeah. In terms of legal proceedings and the rule of law and government, that's a knee-jerk reaction. And so my outspokenness of it, it comes not from as she has very terribly decided to call most of us freelancers that are against AB5. She calls us anti-worker. She calls us Trump supporters. I will be the first person to say that I am not anti-worker. I am very pro-worker. I am not a Trump supporter in any stretch of the imagination. That doesn't necessarily mean that I'm a liberal. That doesn't even necessarily mean that I don't lean conservative on some political standings. But what you've effectively done is you've told a certain amount of people that the way that they work and make their living is not right and they need to treat you better. But I'm sitting here in my home studio. I get to work from home every day. I get to tell people this is how much money that my work deserves. And nine times out of 10, I get paid that rate. I get to work when I want, how I want, how long I want. And I have great health insurance and great coverage. Thank you, President Obama, for the Affordable Care Act. I don't need much more than to be able to earn a good living so that I can buy groceries and pay my utilities, take care of my wife, and maybe have some fun every now and again. But I am in control of everything. 
I have never had greater work satisfaction. I don't need to be treated like an employee, nor do I want to be. And so because of that and basically being told that, no, your jobs are not jobs, which she has on occasion used her Twitter platform to uh, to say that gig jobs are, are not jobs, uh, I would say tell that to the countless hours of emails and sitting in front of the computer editing video work uh, that what I do is not a job. What I do is a job, and I do it for myself. I am my own boss. I am the one in charge. It has supported my household for the last full-on, like, I would say three to four years, maybe a little longer. I'm good. You know, I don't need you to help me. I am helping myself. And it's one of those things for me where I guess some people listening to this might say, you sound like a libertarian. And I guess you could say I sound like that. But I'm just a guy who thinks people should be able to live their lives without people sticking their dick in it and trying to screw it up. If I'm happy working the way that I work and I have great relationships with the companies I work with, why change it? You know, and now with everything going on to tie it to our current times with COVID-19 and everything like that, you know, we're starting to see like, hey, is the federal government going to be sending people aid checks for, you know, this amount of time missed work? And some reports have come in saying like, yeah, they're making starting to make provisions for uh, freelancers and people who are self-employed so that they'll get some sort of, you know, federal unemployment of some sort. And here we have assembly members in Sacramento saying, no, we need to enforce this stronger during this time because these workers need those benefits. But as I said earlier, it's pretty much business as usual for me. My work hasn't really stopped. I'm still every day waking up and coming into my home studio. I'm editing videos. I am mixing stuff. I pick up a guitar for work every single day of the week that I work. And I pick up a guitar every single day of the week. Business as usual around here. My health insurance is still active. I'm still able to pay my bills. I don't have any issue here. So... Unfortunately, a lot of people don't know that legislation exactly like this is being written in states all across the country and is even hidden in a piece of legislation that is going through the House of Representatives and the the United States Senate right now. People don't realize it, and that's the thing that pisses me off the most, is that this was done in the dead of night without us knowing about it, not being put to the voters, and when you don't put something to the voters, when it really, really matters, you and I got problems, big problems. And that's what really caught me by surprise about this whole thing, because my opinion of it was I really thought this was a knee jerk reaction because when I was living in L.A. I was Uber driving and Lyft driving a lot. It was a regular, consistent weekly part of my income. And I thought a lot of this was a knee-jerk reaction to particularly the big cities, but San Francisco, where a lot of these tech companies, gig economy companies, are based, and in Los Angeles, where the city is so insanely, the people in the city, I'd say the residents are so dependent on Uber and Lyft because the public transportation system's pretty fucked. I mean, it's not reliable if you need it on a daily basis to get where you're going because the train only goes so far 
and the buses run on their schedule and sometimes they don't run on schedule. So yeah. if you have a job or if you're living out there, multiple jobs, you need to work. You need a way to get there and you need to have some control over your ability to get there. But there were there was always backlash the entire time I was out there and doing rideshare driving where people wanted to unionize. They wanted a guaranteed minimum. And I understood the intention of all that. But at the same time, I wasn't necessarily looking for that because I did like essentially being in control of my schedule and what I what I was going to earn. Because if, if there was a, a minimum guaranteed hourly rate, okay, that's one thing. Uh, like you, I wasn't looking for health benefits or anything like that because of the Affordable Health Care Act. I had insurance as well and was paying that on a monthly basis. And I was good. So I was able to sustain myself and my lifestyle, if you could call it that, my, my lavish Hollywood lifestyle, by doing rideshare driving when I had to. But aside from that, there's also been the backlash where a lot of people who write, who are freelance writers for companies based in California, right. who live in other parts of the country. Uh, in my case, I was thinking in terms of uh, doing voiceover because... A lot of the work I did was for companies that were outside of California while I was living in California, and I would just do the job. They would pay me digitally. I'd send them the file using Dropbox or some means like that, and that would be it. And I wouldn't be able to work as a freelance voiceover artist if I were still in California because of this. So it, the whole thing to me seemed like it, it, it may have been there may have been a kernel of a good idea in there, but as far as the the huge umbrella of all these different gigs that it includes really messes things up because if I'm doing, if I was doing, let's say a spot for a car dealership in Missouri, just recording a 30 second commercial from them, I don't want to be classified as an employee. They don't want to classify me as employee. So I'm not going to get hired Yeah, because it, given this from the way I understood it and you, you just laid it out pretty well, but my concern was, wow, if I were still out there, I wouldn't be able to do jobs like that. I, I'd need to be in SAG-AFTRA, and I would need to get union jobs. It, it's what kind of what it sounded like to me. I couldn't be doing that job as a freelancer. And same thing for you know these writers and people who work in different areas who were suddenly laid off as soon as this bill went into effect. And it seemed really crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. And that's one of the things that... I almost wonder to myself, and we've seen a little bit of that, you know, before, you know, coronavirus became the thing that everybody spent, you know, their lives around. I was pretty active and involved and following a particular Facebook group that are freelancers against AB5. Um, it's on Facebook. So if you live in I think it's mostly only California. So if you live in California and this is something that you want to learn more about, I would highly recommend that you join that group and join the conversation, talk about it. The concern for me was twofold because I, as a, a YouTuber, a content creator, I have the ability to offer my services as a marketing company and a marketing service. And that is one of the exemptions listed under AB5 because there there's a vast list of professions that are exempt from the law's jurisdiction which sounds really funny but as a band as a songwriter a performer a musician as music business professionals whether it's as a guitar player a songwriter recording engineer mixing engineer producer we don't have any exemptions underneath that there's language currently being drafted but it's still like 
no, that's not how our business has operated. It's not how our business operates. And the way that you want to lay this out for us is not right. I'll be the first guy to say that the music industry, the entertainment industry in general, it chews people up and spits them out alive and does not care for their condition afterward. But it's that experience of being in it. It's the experience of paying your dues. It's the the experience of just that tooth and nail, dirty knuckles and and, and crying, bleeding, wondering, is this going to happen? Yeah, that time in the trenches. Yeah, it's that time in the trenches that builds the character and the, I guess I could say, spiritual armor that helps protect you over the course of your career. And on the artist part, it creates some great work and experiences to inspire work based off the experience. And then on the part of the people who can be the decision makers within the business, depending on their personality, depending on who they are, like it definitely doesn't work for the Harvey Weinsteins of the world, you know, <laughs> it causes them to look at things in a bigger picture scenario. At least that that's what I've found. I've found that paying my dues in this business and not having things so easily laid out, having to navigate the different jobs, the different positions that you can hold in this music business, this entertainment business as a whole, it's having to navigate all that that has helped me figure out where my strengths are and helped me realize who it is that I'm going to need to find on the outside. Who's got those strengths where mine are weaknesses? And I think when you're able to recognize what your strengths and your weaknesses are, you build a much stronger team and battle plan to be able to combat everything, whether it's entertainment or whether it's it's fucking corporate America. Who cares? Oh, totally. You know, if you are... If you're one of those workers that you work with this boss who is just the slave driver boss, that's not what you need in corporate America. Right now in, in America with the workplace, we need leaders. We need leaders who are willing to be at the head of the pack and pulling the rope along with the workers. And that, I think, is what really helps with the sort of hierarchical nature of the music business is that you're able to discern your strengths and weaknesses and not having it be everybody gets a set wage for every single job and not knowing if one week you're going to be living hand to mouth and then the next week you're eating like a king. I love the freedom and the journey that the freelance life and the independent life within the entertainment industry has afforded me. There might come a day where I'll need to join, you know, SAG, AFTRA, AFM, whatever. There might come a day. But as of right now, my best experiences came from just being me and navigating the industry in its many different forms. I've learned so much, and I love it so much. I know the things that I don't want to do, 
and I know the things that I do want to do. And I wouldn't trade those experiences for, for anything because it made me who I am today. And to me, that's really what cuts to the core of this issue for me. It, it feels like we're making everything is this homogenized experience. And I, I think we all need individual experiences. We all need to be different. Well, especially now, it's, you know, work is being, and what a job is, is being redefined constantly based on technology and based on being able to independently produce work or work from home or whatever it is, but from whether it's, you know, what you do, where you're broadcasting from home or me, which basically what I'm doing right now as well. Right. Whether it's that or being able to write, I mean, a, a law like a bill like this is, I guess it's considered law, is kind of kneecapping people who are freelancers right now because they could be working. There's a lot of people writing right now. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of journalism going on, and there's a lot that needs to be responded to. Yes, there are people creating content right now, to use the, the, the modern term, the overused modern term, creating content. For real. But there there is a lot of work to be done. I get messages all the time about, you know, if you're if you're still looking for work, there are voiceover opportunities for this company, for that company. A lot of people are producing PSAs right now, like the one at the beginning of this show. You know, there, there are companies that are are looking for work that can be done because there's still stuff out there. But if you're being restricted by having to be hired by a company to do it, and you can't just be hired as a hired for a one-off job, right? Where you don't need to be classified as an employee, that is impacting people's ability to work and to earn right now. And if they can, and if they don't need to depend on a federal unemployment system to get everybody through this this self-quarantine and this near recession we're going through, then they should be allowed to work. They should have the choice to work and the ability, because if you can work from home, right now is a perfect example. It makes a perfect case for why you should be able to. So right. th that's definitely the timing. I mean, I would want to talk to you about this anyway, because you have a really solid grasp on, on how it impacts people and what it's meant since it's it's gone into effect. Well, I try. But right now is really one of those times where it's definitely having its biggest impact when it comes to people being able to work from home and and make it through what we're going through right now. Right. And the worst thing for me is just the way that everybody's, you know, on both sides of the not necessarily both sides of the aisle. It's mostly on the on the democratic side of the aisle. And I and I say this loving my democratic friends and my friends who who vote to the left. This is not an endorsement of right or left wing. It seems like it's just become a complete battle on both sides of the aisle. You know, one party toes one line, the other toes the other. And the strange thing about it is for those of us who want to maintain this freelance status, for those of us that want to remain in this independence, our allies are the Republicans who, quite frankly, don't exactly have the best reputation as a political party these days. And you know what? It's well-deserved. It is well-deserved because there are a lot of people in that party, just as there are people in the Democratic Party, pardon for making this a politics podcast, everybody, the reputation is deserved. The people that dislike the two major political parties in this country are both unjustified and justified. But what I've seen with this AB5 and the way that the politicians have treated it, the Republicans are our friends. It's really weird. They want to let us still have the ability to be freelancers and work for ourselves and be able to build our small businesses in the way that we have been doing business, some of us, for decades. I actually read a story on the Freelancers Against AB5 group 
of a woman who basically ran a Christmas caroling service for decades. And because of AB5, she was considering shutting it all up and not doing Christmas caroling in 2020 because of what it meant for how she had worked with singers she would hire on and bring in to be part of this caroling group in the past. So while the Democrats were all kind of mad at, and many of us that are against AB5 lean towards the left, we're finding strange bedfellows and allies on the right side of the aisle. And that's in deep blue California, no less. This is in deep blue California. Dude, one of the most outspoken opponents of this in the music business is Ari Hurston. He is a great uh, independent artist, music business writer, uh, released a great sell- a great book about being an independent artist in the modern music business. He leans very much to the left, but he has gone on right-wing news shows. He's gone on left-wing news shows. He is siding with these politicians that want to help keep our status of independence as musicians, as writers, as whatevers. Here's someone who votes left and is finding allies on the right. It's a really weird time. And I think right now, if you can find work, you should just be able to work. For sure. Don't make it complicated, please. Man, this is a this is a really weird way to this is not how I expected our conversation to go today. <laughs> well, no, you listen, you you're right and I agree with you in that there are a lot of people and without getting into any specific I mean we are talking about, you know, a, a political issue in as much as it's it's a law and how it's affecting people, but there are too many people who like we were talking earlier about sticking with their comfort zone. Many people will just side with whatever their party is on the issue instead of looking at the issue in a nonpartisan way. There are a lot of partisan zombies on both sides who want to stick with whatever their party supporting, no matter how stupid or nonsensical or dangerous it is. Right. And it's not that crazy of an idea for Republicans to make some sense in California or vice versa. You know, there could be a Democrat who... You know, it's in Kentucky who makes sense to the people for what it is they're looking for. Not everything needs to be boiled down to being a partisan issue. Right. And just classifying it as and it's funny because I found myself like you were doing earlier prefacing this with, well, I'm not saying that I'm agreeing with right wingers or I'm agreeing with left wingers. You know, you have to look at every issue for what it is and not through the lens of partisan politics. I feel like that's gotten us into this. I think it's further deepened the divide we're in as a country, again, without getting into specific issues. But I feel like there are a lot of people who just want to stick with their party, and that's it. No compromise, no working with the other side, no finding a happy medium, but especially not finding what works best for the people it will affect. Right. So I I, I agree with what you're saying, and that's why I wanted you to, to speak about this. Because this has affected you directly. Well, I hope everybody enjoyed my semi-rant. I certainly did. I hope everybody else did, too. (laughs) But now we're going to lighten things up a little bit. And you now get to be the next victim in our quarantine questionnaire. Oh, no. That's right. Hanging up. No, No, I'm kidding. Quarantine questionnaire. All right. Let's do this. That's right. Several questions. Random and inappropriate. Here we go. Oh, no. If you could go to one restaurant and have one meal, what restaurant would it be 
And what would the meal be? Oh. Well, the first thing that comes to mind is I'm a, I'm a big fan of craft beer, and I love pizza. And there are a couple places nearby that have both. But if I really could have my choice right now, I would get in the car and I would drive to Selma's Chicago Pizzeria and Tap Room in Ladera Ranch, California. I would order myself a big old Chicago deep dish pizza with pepperoni, sausage, onions, bell peppers, mushrooms, maybe another meat just to have some a little bit more fun. Maybe some roasted spinach. That would be good. Get some chopped garlic thrown on top of the sauce. I'd probably get myself a couple pints as I'm eating it. They have these tater wedges that are just fantastic. So I, I think that would be the thing that I... And I've been on a on a, a pretty strict diet uh, over the course of the last few months. Uh, that's neither here nor there. But uh, that, that would be something I'd jones for right about now. What do you put on first, pants or socks? Pants. Taking weight gain and other health risks out of the equation, what five foods would you want to live on while being in self-quarantine? Jasmine rice, ground turkey, onions, garlic, tomato sauce. If the quarantine lasts for months and there's a meat shortage and your only option is to catch and kill birds and squirrels, what methods would you use? (laughs) Baseball bat. You meet Eddie Van Halen in an elevator, and you have enough time to ask him one question. What do you ask him? Wow. Oh, this is deep. If I had to say just anything to him, it would literally just be like, are you Eddie Van Halen? (laughs) That wouldn't actually be what I'd say. I'm usually pretty cool cool and and level-headed around around celebrities of any significance, but I I guess if I was to get the chance to, you know, be sharing an elevator with him. It would just be, excuse me, uh, Mr. Van Halen, you probably hear this from guitar players a lot, but I want to just thank you for everything that you've given our instrument. I want to thank you for everything you've given us in, in terms of, you know, making a rock record. And the thing that changed everything for me in terms of rock guitar was your rhythm work it wasn't even just your lead your solos it was how you still had groove and if you don't have groove you don't have shit and i think that's my floor sorry kid see you later thanks all right no worries <laughs> thanks mr van halen uh okay you can be quarantined with two celebrities one male one female who do you choose oh god living or dead well, let's say living because it's happening now, but that's a good variation on this. And by the way, I understand you're a married man, but feel free to take a flight of whimsy. Well, in terms of a male, I actually feel like I'd have a lot of fun with a guy like uh, Alton Brown because we both like to cook. But he's also a little little offbeat and looks like he would have a lot of fun uh, given and make the best of a bad situation. Oh, dear. A female... Oh, this is where things get tricky. Oh, dear. And yes, with the caveat that I'm a happily married man. Oh, dear. You know, I think I'd like to spend some time with Jennifer Aniston. Just between being a fan of Friends and watching her in some of her movies, it seems like she'd actually be be a pretty fun conversation. 
and actually be pretty entertaining to hang out with. So you're looking for a good hang, nothing more. Yeah, I'm looking for a good hang. You know, if we're going to be quarantined for months together, we might as well have a good time with each other. And Alton and I can cook, and we definitely have some good conversations there. He likes some nerdy sci-fi stuff. And, and Jennifer Aniston, she's a, she's a beautiful woman. She's funny. I, and I imagine her having some really cool stories and just interesting anecdotes. Like, it would just be interesting to... I like being around interesting people. You win for most diplomatic answer for females, so congratulations. <laughs> Lots of artists are doing living room concerts and streaming them during the quarantine. What artist or band would you like to see a stripped-down acoustic living room performance from? Oh, that's cool. You know, I would actually love to hear some of the Cure's catalog stripped down to just Robert Smith and an acoustic guitar because the Cure's sound is so heavy on synth and bass work, but he's still got this great jangly guitar part going. I would love to hear that. If you could be a woman for a day, what would you do? <laughs> uh, if I were a woman for a day uh, in this current climate, I would just stay at home. And watch chick flicks like uh, like it was going out of style. You find a box in your basement, and inside is an unused Star Wars story written by George Lucas. Would you get in touch with Lucasfilm or submit it under your own name as if it's an original script written by you? I think instead what I would do is I'd read the script, look at the script, realize what we got in the prequels, give it my finishing touches, and submit it as a co-write and say, look, I took these ideas that I found from George Lucas. They needed some touch-ups, and this is what I did. What will you personally be cooking during your self-quarantine? Well, a couple nights ago, I made chicken soup. Last night, I made pizza. Tonight, I'm going to be grilling some flank steak. There's uh, quite a lot of recipe variety here in the Johnson household. If you could have sex with a cartoon character other than Jessica Rabbit, who would it be? Damn it! You know that's going to be every guy's answer, and so you took it away from us. That's the only way to be fair. Every guy would choose Jessica Rabbit, <sighs> and I'd be short one question. And then where would we be? Now that you've taken away the, the queen of all cartoon vixens, God, what am I going to do? Especially because most of the cartoons I grew up on had, like, little girl leads, man. Come on. Okay, there's a lot of adult car. Have you ever watched Adult Swim? Come on. You could pick any... Well, none of the Death Clock groupies had names, but there's, there's got to be something. No, they didn't. No. You watch no, Rick and Morty. No. There's got to be somebody. Well, Summer's a little too bitchy. I don't think I could handle her. So we'll just go with her mom. Summer's mom on Rick and Morty. Yeah, sure. Why not? Okay. Han Solo, Luke Skywalker, Kylo Ren. Who has the biggest penis? Ooh. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that Han does. It's a popular answer. Yeah, it's a popular answer because but uh, because I feel like it's the most obvious. But uh you know what? I'm going to go I'm going to go ahead and a secret long long dong is Luke Skywalker. He's got it hidden away. He doesn't he doesn't bring it out, so he's pro it's probably him. So that's why I could throw away his his lightsaber without any thought. Yeah. He's like I I'm packing enough of a saber already. I don't need this light stick. Exactly. There you go. If exposure to the virus weren't a factor, what place would you like to have visited before the pandemic? It could be a city, a country, a theme park, an event, whatever. Well, I've wanted to go to Japan for a really long time. Um, so that would be at the top of my list. 
But given what I do, there is a lot of manufacturing in China currently, uh, several companies of which I've actually worked with. And there's a burgeoning like boutique guitar and musical instrument business in China right now. So it would have been cool to see like what they do and, and their process. Those would be the, the top two destinations, just given my uh, my personal wants and also just people that I do business with. Your house is on fire and your wife is able to get out safely, but you only have enough time to grab one guitar and two pedals because amps are too heavy. What do you choose? Well, you know the guitar. It's my black and silver Les Paul Studio which uh, you saw a lot of when we were in college together. Almost every day. Yeah, almost every day. It would be that guitar. That would be the first one to come out with me. Uh, Pedal-wise, nah, man, I'd just hulk it through, and I'd save the amp. Fuck the pedals. I'd I'd save the amp. Yeah, what amp would that be? Orange amplifiers, because you're an artist? Yeah, that would be my orange Rocker Verb 100. I can always get pedals, you know, but that guitar and that amp... That's me, baby. That's me. I'm homeless, but I'm still an endorsed artist. Yeah, exactly. That's thinking ahead in the moment. I like it. Yeah. And, you know, for the for, you know, to piggyback off that, the world that I work in, you know, a lot of my colleagues are incredibly generous. They're incredibly supportive. And we we rally around our community. So if something like that were to happen and if anybody that this happens to, they needed some help, the community would help them. And that's one of the things I love about it. If you ever released a cologne, what would you call it and what would it smell like? Well, I love me some sandalwood. I also love lavender, eucalyptus, tea tree, sage is also a good one, oak. So I would probably find a way to balance like a a sort of sandalwood and oak kind of woodiness, maybe a little bit of smokiness with a, a hint of that eucalyptus and lavender. I think that'd be a really nice combination of, of light floral, but like nice manly kind of smokiness and weight to it. And what would I call it? Hmm. I suspect that if my cologne would be called Riffs. R-I-F-F-S. Riffs. If you transition to a female, what would you change your name to? Wow. That's weird. Uh... You know, I got made fun of sometimes in, in school, and guys would call me Shonda or Shauna. So, and I, I knew a girl, uh, well, I knew a woman, you know, because she was a camp counselor. Her name was Shauna, and she was always incredibly nice to me. So it would probably just be that, as simple as that. If there was a Mount Rushmore for guitar players, what four faces would be on it? Les Paul, Eddie Van Halen. Fuck! <laughs> Pardon me for that. Uh, Tom Morello. Um, oh, Jimi Hendrix, of course. Yeah. Jimi Hendrix, Les Paul, Eddie Van Halen, and Tom Morello, uh, off the top of my head. Just because what those guys did for the electric guitar had never been done before. Never has anybody done it better than those guys. Everybody tries, everybody copies, but nobody's as good as the originals. Well, congratulations, Sean. You've survived the quarantine questionnaire. Yay! What do I win? What are my prizes? Absolutely nothing, but you're honored. So you got that going for you. Damn it! Well, I'm honored. Well, we're just about done here. So 
Give us your plugs. Where can people find you? Where can people follow you? All right. Well, outside of my political leanings, please do not entertain me with that in any way, shape, or form. I hate thinking about it. I hate talking about it. I hate that I have to be involved with it. But such is the way of things. Please do consider uh, giving my YouTube channel a follow. It is youtube.com slash Sean Pierce Johnson. I'm also on Instagram at Sean Pierce Johnson, as well as follow my pedal demo show for guitar players at Stompbox Saturday. But more than anything right now, during this time where we can explore new things, I would love if you found my band Cockeyed Optimist. You can find us at cockeyedoptimist.net. We're on Spotify. We're on Apple Music. You can also find us on YouTube and all the social networks. Please like us on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram. Listen to us on Spotify and share it with your friends. Uh, We are going to be putting up some new merch in the coming weeks, days. I don't really know what the process is on that, uh, but we want to do something to help everybody as we are having to spend more time inside, uh, make your time a little bit more enjoyable, and subscribe to our email list. We're going to be reaching out to you guys and and checking in on you guys over the course of the next uh, several months, and hope you guys are all well. All right. And again, those links will be at chrisabalo.com. Just look for the Cape 104 post and uh, there'll be the links to the band and to Sean's YouTube channel. And then you can pretty much find your way from there. Sean, thank you so much for spending some of your self-quarantine checking in and uh, chatting about all things going on in through the first quarter of 2020 and beyond. Thank you very much for that. Thank you for having me, Chris. It's been a hell of a first quarter of 2020. And uh, let's hope that uh, things get a little less crazy. All right. Thanks for listening. There'll be another episode this Monday, of course. So make sure you like and subscribe. You can follow the show at Cape Pod on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow me at Chris Abalo on Twitter and at Chris Sells Out on Instagram. And until next time, this is Chris Abalo, and this was yet another experiment. Surviving. Oh, yeah.